Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Patented. It's a podcast about the history of inventions, the beginnings of technology, the origins of things. Brought to you by History Hit. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell. Thank you for your company. Hey, today's episode, I'm delighted to say, has been suggested by one of you, lovely listeners. Hi, my name is Adam. I live near Baltimore, Maryland in the US and have been listening to Patented since the very beginning. And I'd love to see you do an episode on keyboards, which are something that we now use all the time for doing pretty much everything. They've been around forever in lots of different shapes and sizes. And I think the perfect person to talk about it would be Marchand Vahari, who just wrote a huge book on keyboards and their history. I think it'd be a fantastic conversation. Thanks. Dreams can come true, Adam. Oh, yes, they can. Because today's episode is not only about the story of keyboards, but my guest today is... Martian Vary. So Adam and the rest of you prepare yourself for a treat as we dive in to the story of the keyboard. Now if you think about your keyboard, it is so central to all of our lives. It's almost become invisible. We use our keyboards all the time on our phones and our computers or if you're a hipster, your typewriter, our phones to write our epic novels and our screenplays or you would use your thumbs on your phone to text your friend that you're running late perhaps you're really struggling to write a draft of a, a new job application or writing a difficult email whatever it is the keyboard is central to the way that we communicate in the modern world so get ready to hear all the stories of the keyboard the invention of qwerty 150 years ago the famous attempt to kill off QWERTY by Dvorak, not the composer, about the ZX Spectrum, which, if you're my age, you will remember, and it's annoying little rubbery keys, and the shift key. Where did that come from? There's all kinds of extraordinary stories that are lurking underneath those keys that we take for granted. If you enjoy this chat with Martian, then don't forget, he has got a book coming out. It's called Shift Happens. It's on Kickstarter right now, and there's a link to it in the episode description. It's great, and it's full of these odd, unusual stories about the keyboard that we tap away on all day. Enjoy the show.
Martian, welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you with us. You're joining us from Chicago, the windy city. Yes, very sunny today, actually. Is it? Well, it's sunny here in London, too. So there we go. Hey, listen, I'm just as we uh, we're talking about keyboards, I mean, we should make, point out computer keyboards we're talking about primarily. I'm having a war with my keyboard at the moment. The H on my Mac, I've got a MacBook Pro and the keyboards on it's terrible. Like it keeps the H on it. Every time I hit it, it does two H's. It makes me crazy. Is, is this the infamous butterfly keyboard? That's exactly what it is, yeah. the butterfly keyboard. Do you know about this? And, and they seem to know about it, but there's nothing I can do. I'm, apparently, I'm stuck with it. It's actually interesting for me because if you look at Apple's history with keyboards, it's actually kind of boring, you know? Like, like Apple has all of these interesting devices, you know, they've they innovated a lot. And if you look at their keyboard history, there's one interesting keyboard that's Apple adjustable in the mid-90s is this split keyboard. Um, and then nothing after that. And the next experimentation was the one that you're talking about, which is something that it's actually really, worked very well. It's really, really annoying. And I'm, I think I'm, I wouldn't mind if it was like a cheap computer, like, okay, fine. But it's a MacBook Pro and I spend a lot of money on it and it's, it makes me, it makes my head hurt. Anyway, I, oh, well, actually, you say Apple didn't have only had one. I remember my friend Will used to have, I think it was called an Apple Newton. It's like a thing you put in your palm, like a kind of palm-held device, and it had like four buttons on it. And the combination of buttons, yeah. three buttons, da, da 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 would spell out words. But again, I think it was so rubbish that it didn't really catch on. But I remember playing with it. There's this history of sort of one-hand devices, which actually harkens back even all the way to like 19th century where somebody built this like, I think it was called permutational typographer. It was a typewriter you could hide in your pocket. And it was supposed to be like writing down everyday observations without anybody noticing. So that thing, <laughs> just this, this desire to yeah. kind of quietly write something down, maybe a little secretly, has always been with us, right? And I think that the, the, maybe the one you're referring to was also a version of that. Maybe it's for spies or something. <laughs> okay, this is a nice little preamble into, into today's chat. Origins of keyboards. Oh. Is there such a thing as that? What was the first keyboard? Like, was it was the first typewriter the first keyboard, or the the laying out of keys to communicate? Where how far back can we go? That's interesting because you know there's always everything we have in a history. There's always a debate what's first, and often it's just a question of like what adjectives you put in between first and the word, right? So like first commercial typewriter, first electronic computer, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know there've been attempts to do something like a typewriter for, I think, centuries before what I would consider the first proper keyboard, the first proper typewriter. But they were just, you know, one-offs. They were not, maybe the technology wasn't quite there yet. So, you know, there are different countries in Europe that claim the first typewriter and they all probably okay claims. But I think for me, the one that really started it all is the one that's gonna celebrate its 150th anniversary later this year which is the first QWERTY keyboard attached to the, was called Scholes and Glidden and eventually the Remington typewriter because it was the first one that actually was manufactured at scale and, and really the first one that led to every keyboard after that, right? Like pretty much every keyboard after that. Like the, you, could, you could grab the person who invented it move them in time to today from 1867, sit them in front of a computer and they would know what to do. So the first typewriter, because I, I always, maybe it's an urban myth, but I always thought that the quirt, the reason that QWERTY typewriters exist is to stop the keys jamming because they are, they're 
frequently used letters or le- least frequently used letters. Maybe can you just sort of clear that story up? Like QWERTY, what is what? What the hell? Why have we got QWERTY? What's the function of that? Yeah, a lot of debate through the years. And, you know, the tricky part is we might never fully know because they run this little company, like almost like you would run a startup today. They wouldn't write anything down. There was no blog. They were just like doing things. They would patent what they had to patent, but not too much because, you know, patenting things is also disclosing things to competition. First of all, QWERTY was actually very intentional and very thoughtful. It wasn't just a random hodgepodge of letters. It was there to actually allow people to type fast and to solve a particular set of technical problems. But it wasn't to, you know, a lot of people say slow people down. It was actually the opposite. The combination of the letters was rearranged so that you didn't have to slow down. When you say rearranged, that assumes there must have been something beforehand. So what, what did original, what did original, were keyboards just laid out in alphabetical order? Or exactly, yeah. So the first actually prototype, even of this keyboard, used a piano keyboard because that was the only keyboard that was available. And it, and it was alphabetical because that was the layout that made sense, right? Like that's a starting point. How, how do you mean it was, a, so the, a typewriter would look like a piano or the yeah. piano would... Well, I suppose it's the same sort of thing here, but the piano, I've got one behind me there. Yeah. You know, you press a key and a hammer hits a note. And so with a typewriter, a hammer hits a letter on a bit of ribbon and a bit of paper. Exactly. It's it's actually kind of strange. We should be calling keyboards button boards because they're not keyboards. Like the keyboard is the musical keyboard. The word key comes from music, Ah, right? Is that why we call keyboards keyboards? Because it comes... Yeah, at least least that's the hypothesis, right? Oh, I love that. So at some point they realized two things. One is... The piano keyboard is not as good because, you know, you're not cording the letters. You're not kind of, you just do one at a time. So buttons are better. And the second thing they realize is the arrangement can be better because the alphabetical thing is not very helpful. But you can still see that if you look at the middle row of your keyboard today, it's mostly alphabetical. So they just move things around enough so people could move faster. But there are still traces of the alphabet there. There is. That's okay. I'm just looking at my, listen, I'm just looking at my keyboard now. Maybe you're looking at your keyboard if you're on your laptop. So the middle letter is A, S, D, F, G, H, J, K, L. I'd never even, honestly, I just thought it was kind of random. I mean, I knew about QWERTY, the first letters, but after that, in my brain, it's just randomness, but it's not randomness. There's history in there. There's history in... And and people actually analyzed this in terms of statistics and mathematics. And they said, no, it was... There's a lot of intentionality there. And probably the reason why keyboards work so well, like you could type really fast on even the first keyboard. And that was before touch typing was invented because that was also coming later. Like touch typing, somebody invented touch typing. What's t- what do we mean by touch typing? Is that just, just typing fast? It's, you know, depending on the definition, I think it's using nine or 10 fingers without looking at the keyboard and like allowing the keyboard. And that's the whole beauty of typing and the keyboards is how well they work with human brain, like how incredibly amazing fingers are at interacting with the keyboard, how amazing motor memory is. So basically touch typing allows you to put the entire keyboard in your motor memory and then just don't think about typing. Right? You can think about what you're actually writing. You can think about who you're talking to. I could be typing right now and still talking to you. And motor memory is just beautiful in and of itself. Do we know who invented the QWERTY keyboard? Do, do we know, is there someone who's, who, who thought, okay, I've got to redesign this because... So the sort of the, the main person who is credited for this typewriter that we're talking about is Christopher Latham Scholes. 
he had helpers. You know, he was a little bit kind of like a dreamer. He was actually one of the early people who hated QWERTY and tried to reinvent QWERTY, <laughs> even though he created QWERTY. So he had a, a few more sort of pragmatic partners that would help him bring that typewriter to market. But basically, yeah, this was the person who just spent, you know, seven or something years working on this this wild invention and actually managed to bring it to market. So what's his, so his name's Christopher Latham, is that his name? Yeah, uh, Scholes uh, is his last name, yeah. Christopher Latham Scholes. Who, who was he and how did he get this idea? Like, how did he work out QWERTY? Like, what was the thinking behind? I mean, I know the thinking, but why those... How did he chance upon those letters? Yeah, so I think that, you know, he had some experience in uh, printing before. Uh, he did this device to help paginate things. So there was like a little counter that you could print two on one page and then print three on the next page and then print four and do it semi-automatically, right? So I think there were some kernels of these ideas sort of in his head. Uh, another, like the whole inspiration, the first prototype of his keyboard or his typewriter was a Morse keyer, you know, the Morse, like, Morse, Morse code and Morse buttons existed before. So he sort of connected a, a letter from the printing press with a Morse key and make it swing toward the paper. And honestly, you know, there were other typewriters around. As they were working on this typewriter, they learned from reading newspapers that other people were also working on other typewriters, right? So it was, this idea was floating around and he was just the person who, you know, maybe he was at the right place at the right time. Maybe the, maybe surrounded himself with the right people. Maybe he just spent enough time making it happen. Or maybe, as it often happens in keyboard history and technology history, he picked the right battles, right? Like he said, I'm going to focus on the printing quality. I'm going to focus on the ease of use. And maybe his competitors focus on other things that ended up not being as important. It's just interesting that this was invented, you know, so long ago at the birth of typing. And yet, and nothing's changed. I mean, nothing fundamental has changed in terms of the order. No one's thought, okay, we can do something better. There is nothing better. We've tried because there's other layers. <laughs> People have tried other layers. As we the, mentioned earlier, the, the weird Apple Newton palm thing. But things like, is it Vorjak? I, remember, I seem to yeah. remember that. The, well, so, so that's that whole interesting story, which is depending on whom you ask, there were many keyboards that were better. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But, but we don't know, right? It, it, the word better is so overloaded, right? Because so we have Dvorak, who's probably like the most famous example of somebody saying QWERTY is trash, <laughs> right? We need to do better. He called it a primitive torture board, you know, and, and he had the entire book telling why his lab is better. And on the surface, it feels like it is, right? He, he said, like, your fingers move less. The letters are arranged better. The combination of, like, sort of two fingers moving around. He had charts and graphs, and it was great. Tell, tell us what it is, actually, just for, so our listeners can picture what we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, so it's basically the same form factor as a typewriter or a keyboard, except the letters are rearranged. So, you know, the first row doesn't spell QWERTY. Basically, the gist is that the most common letters are under your fingertips in a resting position. The most common ones are vowels, so they're mostly there on under your right hand. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's rearranged so do your fingers travel less? That was the whole principle. So in theory, your fingers traveling less means you can move faster. But the funny thing is that there were two things. One is, I think I would posit that the query is actually good enough for most people. Like, especially now that we all do casual typing, there are very few professional typists, right? Very few people who type for 10 or 11 hours a day, which used to be the case a, a century ago. But even writers, I mean, like professional writers, I mean, I've written a book and I, I at no point yeah. writing my book did I go, crikey, I wish someone would redesign the 
typewriter layout. It's fine, and I know I know people sort of moan about it. Can I just 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 before we move on, I just want to just just uh, this uh, Vorak. Is that, is that am I pronouncing it right? Is it Vorak? You pronounce it or Dvorak? So from what I understand, there's a composer called Dvorak, and That's then Dvorak there's Dvorak the, is a new symphony, the, new world symphony. And then there's the the scientist called Dvorak. Even though they're related, their branches of their family chose to pronounce their names different ways. <laughs> and why is it called? Why was that layout called Dvorak? If, if I'm pronouncing it right, and and just give us the name of the person who designed. Yeah. So designed. August Dvorak was the person who spent in the 1930s and 1940s like a, a big amount of effort in promoting his layout to you know lectures to writing his book. It was called typewriting behavior. But I think like one thing that he didn't realize, and I think what maybe Scholes did well 50 years before, was that it's not just you have to have a good layout. There's marketing involved, there's promotion, there's building the keyboard. Yes. Like there's a lot of other things that have to happen to put the keyboard on the market. And that's sort of like sometimes a challenge of being an inventor, right? That's this is all all technology and invention. It's well, you know, it's ninety nine percent inspiration. No, ninety nine percent perspiration, one yeah, percent inspiration. Exactly. But it's it's you know people like you know Edison's the famous one. He was a good. He could market himself. That was the thing. He you know Elon Musk knows how to market himself. I suppose yeah. whatever you think of these people. You no, know, whether you see it as inspiring or depressing, I don't know. It's <laughs> up to you. But yeah. my my argument is like yeah, QWERTY is not perfect, but I think for a lot of us, it's actually good enough. And, and we shouldn't hate it for being like, you know, we stuck with it for 150 years. Maybe there's a, there's a room to celebrate it a little bit. It's like a really, really interesting invention. We'll be back after this short break. On Gone Medieval from History Hit, we set out to solve the biggest mysteries of the Middle Ages. So many of these travellers who went out looking for Prester John, what did they think they were hearing? We explore cutting-edge research. Genetic signatures found in present-day Jewish populations were shared by the genetic ancestries we found. From everyday life to dynasty-shattering events. It's a time when all the major Viking raids have started, which as Christians they think of as vengeance from heaven. And reveal the answers to centuries-old riddles. I stand up straight in a bed, I'm hairy at my base, and I make the ladies cry. The solution is an onion. I'm Dr Kat Jarman. And I'm Matt Lewis. Every Tuesday and Saturday, we'll explore some of the biggest stories, the greatest mysteries, and latest research. Listen and follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Actually, I was thinking about it. You know, we talk about typewriters. Typing on something like a MacBook Pro laptop is so different than it is typing on like an old-fashioned typewriter. I mean, the, the amount of movement you have to go from your finger to actually make a keystroke is like kind of, sort of two inches. I remember playing on my mum's old typewriter when I was a kid. Chink, 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 chink. And then I remember when the ZX Spectrum came out. <laughs> Jesus. And it had those kind of like rubbery keys and it was just... Awful, almost as bad as my butterfly thing on my, on my MacBook. The Spectrum, <laughs> yeah. do you remember the Spectrum keyboard? Yeah, that, that actually made it. I, I'm originally from Poland and it was actually a thing in Poland, probably owing to its cheapness. But yeah, I have an entire chapter dedicated to ZX Spectrum. In my oh, really? Book. Oh, okay, good. 
Yeah, because it, it is it is a very interesting keyboard, right? It is on one hand kind of hated, right? It is a keyboard that people say, you know, it's like typing on dead flesh. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> it's like incredibly exactly unpleasant. Um, but I actually got to interview Rick Dickinson, who used to work with Steve Sinclair, uh, Cliff Sinclair, Clive Sinclair, yeah, Clive Sinclair. Thank you. He designed. You know, the ZX80, ZX81, and then the incredibly influential ZX Spectrum. And uh, yes, the keyboard was cheap, but it was cheap for a reason. And, you know, as we all probably know, and people of a certain age probably recognize that ZX Spectrum just basically created an entire industry in the UK of people of computer literacy. And it's, it's sold in millions of units, which was unprecedented for... It, it's still like one of the highest selling computers in history. It was, it was massive. And it's interesting because the keys, they weren't just letters. I mean, you, you were never going to type yeah. War and Peace on a Zinkler ZX Spectrum. Although <laughs> I say that, I did... Somebody did probably. No, I did my dissertation <laughs> at university on a ZX Spectrum. Oh, yeah. However many thousand words that was. Again, I, it was my friend Will's mum, Will, who I was talking about. Just uh, Will, it was Will's mum. Yeah. Spectrum. Anyway. <laughs> you know, it was also like, in a way, kind of beautiful. And I know a lot of people will just like roll their eyes right now listening to it. But, you know, you could take ZX Spectrum today and put it on your shelf. And it's still a beautifully designed object with the right colors and the proportions. And, you know, I asked actually Rick Dickinson, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. I asked him, you know... Looking at it right now, what would you have changed? You know, and I expected he would say like, oh, I would add a space bar, I would add a proper mechanical keys. And he said, nothing. It, all of the decisions we made were there for a reason. You could say that this computer was cheap, but it was also affordable. I, I was astonished how he was just like, no, it, was, it, need, it needed to be that, and it was that. And the fact that people added, you know, other keyboards on top of it just to make it better, sure, that makes sense. But most people just used it. And I think that was important to them. And it was something very, very kind of interesting in that. It's a really good philosophy, isn't it? You know, sometimes things are just right at the right time. And obviously things are different now, but it's a good way. It's a good way of looking for the world, looking at the world. And this idea of perfection is that's a mugs game, trying to get perfection. But perfect yeah. is not what you want. You yeah, just want you good enough. You could get ZX Spectrum that was perfect and it would be used by eight and a half people and it would amount to nothing. Can I ask you about some keys, actually? Just thinking about, you know, just when you were talking about the Spectrum there, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sure there are kind of reasons why some keys, like, for example, the Shift key. Yeah. Like who invented the Shift? Like, actually, on my Mac, it doesn't <laughs> even say Shift anymore. It's just, like a, it's just got like an arrow, arrow pointing up. It's really, an, but it, I'm sure it used to say Shift. Well, yeah. What, did, what does Shift mean? So shift, you know, so there was uh, shift is an interesting key. So my book is called Shift Happens in, in recognition that shift was like the first battle after typewriters were invented. We're talking like late 19th century. You know, the very first typewriters were all uppercase because that was technologically simple to do, right? We see it over and over again. Early computers were also all uppercase. Early texting was also all uppercase. That's usually how we start and then we add lowercase. So they, you know, they tried to figure out how to make lowercase and uppercase happen. And there were different manufacturers trying different things. Some of them would put lowercase keys as separate keys. You know, they would say, it's just the next key, right? You, you want uppercase A, you press this one. You want lowercase A, you press something else that's somewhere else. And those keyboards were a little bit bigger, but they were like clear and it was easy to understand them. And some other um, inventors had this idea of like, what if we, you know, you have a type bar that has a letter that swings towards the paper. What if we put two letters on it and we shift it up and down 
just to target one of them. So if you look sort of like, if you look up at the mechanism of how typewriter works, it's kind of ingenious and beautiful. And then you have this key that shifts the tie bars or shifts the basket up and down. And that's where the name comes from. And then there were some manufacturers who said like, well, we could do more than one shift, right? We could do two, three letters on a tie bar or four letters on the tie yeah, bar. Why are there two shift buttons? Is that just for ease of use? Is that because you, you, depending whether you're right-handed or left-handed or... Yeah, so so I think eventually what happened was they learned that the perfect combination between like technological complexity, because the more shifts you add, the more complex the keyboard gets, right? Like you look at your keyboard today, you have control, you have option, you have command, you have a globe, you have function. It's just like a lot going on, right? I don't know what's half of the means still. What does FN function? Is that function? Yeah, the, yeah, they, they all kind of have a purpose. But, you know, like imagine first typewriter looking like this, you would be afraid <laughs> to go near it. So they basically figure out one shift is enough. And if we duplicate it on both sides, then you can always have one finger that's free to use it. The right shift with A or the left shift with P. So, so that was actually early 20th century where the Underwood typewriter said, we got it. This is the layout. And they had left shift, right shift. And that's what we still have today. So it's 100 something years later. Presumably, also, there's a new kind of group of buttons must have appeared. Because I remember when typewriters vanished and word processors yeah. took over. I, I, had, I had an Amstrad word processor. So things like the return key, for example, yeah. and, and like cursor keys, arrows where you could move yeah. the cursor around. Yeah, or, or insert and delete, like all of this sort of like, for the first time you could, the text was malleable, right? You could like do something with it after you typed it, which actually for over like a century, you couldn't, right? Like the moment you type it on paper, you're stuck with it. Although you can rub out on typewriters, there are you get you can get like kind of delete on type, which is kind of like got tipex on a. Yeah, so so there was like the, the interesting part for me in learning about this is how much of backspace we actually take for granted. You know, like right now we can just type something. You make a mistake, you press backspace, which actually is bad name. Like backspace used to mean a space that goes backwards. It had nothing to do with deleting. <laughs> That's why on the Mac it's called delete. But yeah, there was over a century of people trying to figure out how to make erasing happen in a world of paper and ink, which is actually really complicated. Later, there were typewriters that had sort of like a whiteout that was integrated, you know, tipex, some really clever like chemical inventions in just making it possible because... You know, a lot of the first century of typing was retyping, right? There were all of these people, mostly women in the Western world, just stuck in those rooms typing over and over again because their boss wanted one word changed or because they made a typo. And if you're typing through multiple carbon copies, the typex is not going to help you, right? You, you just have to start from scratch. So I think we eventually solved the backspace problem kind of by accident because computers are just like naturally good at losing things. It's, it's interesting. I'll tell you something. I've, I've mentioned my friend Will twice already in this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to mention him again. My friend Will, who's a writer, he's a novelist and, and other things, he still writes on typewriters. And he makes the point of one of the, one of the dreadful things about writing is that we, 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 in our quest for perfection, we'll write a sentence and then we won't like that sentence. We'll want to change it and we'll go back and we'll, we won't go on until we've made that sentence perfect. So we, keep, we can endlessly edit. And that's not healthy if you're a writer trying to be creative because <laughs> the creative process, you just want to get stuff down on the page. It's really, really important. You get the sand in the sandbox and then you can go back and edit. 
And you couldn't do that on a typewriter. You, well, a typewriter, you had to be much more disciplined. You couldn't edit, yeah. so you just had to write. And that's a really good way of writing as a creative artist, according to Will. Yeah. I, and I agree. Staring at a blank screen and thinking, okay, where once upon a time, and then it's like, okay, the temptation <laughs> to go and edit. Well, actually, you shouldn't. Yeah. You should keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, so I don't know if I agree, because I think there's sort of beauty and choosing whatever works for you, right? It's probably mm. a lot more complicated because, so the way I write, I do exactly the thing you said you don't want to do, which is like I big space, I move things around, I, I select things and use arrow keys. And that's my creative process. But I also want to recognize like your or Will's creative process is also what you need, right? So I think like the, you see all of these devices trying to recapture the simplicity of typewriters in the modern era. Nothing wrong with that, right? But but I think a lot of for, for a lot of people, like word processing was freeing, right? It was sort of like, oh, my brain works actually like this. Yeah. I'm just throwing yeah. a lot of stuff on the page and then move it around. It is freeing, but of course, with that freedom, you lose yeah. the the the, the I, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm the arch procrastinator. <laughs> Thing, if I'm writing or I need to write something, I've got a deadline. I have to use things like Mac Blocker, which stops me using the internet. So just so I don't go off. And there's other apps that you can will not let you edit, will not let you use Backspace. It's it's interesting how um, is there such a thing? I mean, for you, all these sort of keyboards. Is, is there a sort of what, what you would consider the best layout of a keyboard yet? Well, Split keyboards or wiggly keyboards or... Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm sort of like we talked about before, I'm, I'm kind of in awe of QWERTY. Like, I mean, it's, mm. it's a strange thing to admit, but, you know, there are reasons it's still with us. Like there were like multiple assassination attempts on QWERTY over the last yeah. 150 years and it's still here and it's actually sort of surprisingly international. Like that's the thing that didn't exist before, but now, you know, I can sit down to your keyboard and type, even though you might be in British English or you might be in Polish or you might be in German or whatever, like, or Japanese or Chinese. Like, yes, we lost some diversity along the way. There were mm -hmm. some beautiful Thai keyboards or Thai typewriters. There were some really interesting Chinese and Japanese keyboards. A lot of the keyboards now, it's just like, you just use QWERTY as an entry point, right? You, you, the, the way a lot of people type in, Chinese or Japanese or Korean is like they describe the words in Latin and they become the right letters through the magic of computing software. And some people find it disappointing and kind of like, oh, it's colonialism of QWERTY, you know, but in a way it also became this sort of like universal language. I think that one resonates with me in a way. I, I do admire people who try to reinvent it, right? I do admire people who try all of these different layouts or different physical keyboard layouts. And it's good that alternatives exist. I agree. And also, actually, the, the, I'm, my hat goes off to some of, the, some of the buttons that we no longer have. Things, that we, things like kind of execute button and, and like <laughs> a button that says rub out. And there's some like really there's some like really crazy buttons that used to exist which don't exist anymore. But I wish they did. Maybe you could give us a few. <laughs> there's a button on a on a keyboard of um, I think a specific laboratory equipment that says don't care. <laughs> it has a label saying don't care. It's I think about mathematical precision or something. But I'm just like yes, I don't care. I want to press it all the time. We should have one of those. That'd be really good. Yeah, I like. Yeah. It. I I think exactly things like execute or even control on your keyboard today sort of harken back to this old way of really kind of nerdy computing, 
right? Like control used to be control codes. And it's kind of disappointing that it still made it. Like even Backspace has a wrong name, right? As I mentioned, like Backspace is just a space going in the other direction. I don't even know what control means. I'm, I'm sure I must do it. So it's kind of like a like a shift or a cap. It's this nerdy shift. It's this sort of like strange... Nerd shift. I like that. My joking answer, why is any key on the keyboard, it's because it was there on the keyboard before it. It's just, it's all like going back to history, right? There were teletypes with control keys and at some point they moved to keyboards and then we stuck with them. So it's really hard to, you know, change something that exists in your modern memory. But that's it. I think, I think us as consumers, we just assume everyone's going to be, someone's in charge of the whole shebang, whatever it yeah. is. And so that's why, I guess, is that, am I right in thinking that's why there are so many quirkinesses to the keyboard, the quirky quirty etc yeah. because no one's in charge and it's just evolved in this strange slightly yeah. haphazard yeah people way. people were in charge of like bits and pieces right the arrow keys are in this specific layout because of the company called digital equipment corporation and they actually did that it's a good layout except when you know as we talked earlier apple starts messing with it but you know like the space bar the caps lock right is a great example of something that a lot of people find like why is this in such a prominent space but really, like, the moment you try to change it, some people were like, well, I'm used to it. Don't mess with it, right? So I like that. It's interesting because in a way, evolution is similar. I mean, if you were going to design the human body, you certainly wouldn't design it like this. <clears throat> you know, there's things about the human body which are ridiculous, like having the optical, <laughs> you know, that's, the, the eye is ridiculous. You wouldn't design it like this. And yeah, it's fine. It works. That's kind of how evolution works. And I guess it's the same with this. Hey, listen, your book... Shift happens when you when you kind of wrote it. I just I, I wonder if you had a kind of, if you had a moment of sort of clarity when you got to the end of your book. Did you have a moment where you thought this is this is why this is an interesting subject? What was your kind of takeaway kind of moment of like this is really interesting? I'm I'm sort of a nerd, you know, a designer, engineer no kind of thing. <laughs> and so you know, I used to be obsessed with keyboards mostly as sort of like the technical device. Right, like, oh, there's all of these key codes, there's all of these layouts. But what's really interesting to me is like sort of how, you know, again, we talked about how the QWERTY keyboard kind of looks like it looked like 150 years ago. And that's, you know, either good or bad, depending on look at it. But so much around it changed, right? How we use keyboards, who used keyboards, how typewriters became computers, which is actually like a really complicated story. There were, you know, devices like teletypes and key punches and calculators and all of this kind of stuff, word processors we talked about. Sort of the human, like the human attachment to the keyboard ended up being like the most interesting part, right? Like how people, how some people, as I mentioned, like speak with their thumbs today, right? Which is like kind of a new way to actually use a, a keyboard that didn't exist before or some, how, how some people were like, became so incredibly good at typing or how some people, like like we talk about Dvorak and other people like really wanted to fix the queries wrongs without maybe realizing there weren't, there wasn't much to fix, but you know, like how some people try to invent a new language just to fix the universe, right? That's how people, so, so there's a lot of like really beautiful stories of people, oh yeah. And the phone as well, you, you know, you mentioned typing with your thumbs because obviously when the, when the smartphone was invented, Things you know, things like BlackBerry died off, which had a physical keyboard. But now yeah. we have keyboards that that re- recognize what it is you're writing, and we do, you know you do the squiggly lines with your finger, and that kind of that kind of works. Or typing with your thumbs. It's funny though because I can't like for example like speech recognition software is really good, but I can't write with it. Mm. I need to physically have my hands moving in order for my brain yeah. to to operate. 
there's this beautiful connection between your brain and your fingers and the keyboard that, you know, maybe it was a lucky accident that it happened with pianos and then typewriters, right? Like you can notice sometimes where you're typing and you notice that you made it, your fingers notice you made a typo before your brain does, which, which I know doesn't make sense because it's all your brain, but like your fingers will go to backspace before you even realize because you sense that you type the key just ever so slightly off. It happens so quickly in your brain and at such, such a low level that there's, it's so beautiful to me, right? Like how well integrated it is. With voice, you know, you, you never get that. And there's also the privacy issues, right? People can hear you talk. And then of course you can also get, and that's like the, the strategy, you could get an, an RSI of vocal cords. You can start speaking too much and also get in trouble. So I think you wear out your voice much faster than you wear out your fingers in general. But like you say, we're all different. I, it's funny, There's um, I, I have a thing, you know, I struggle w- with writing. I struggle to get things out of my brain onto the page. And I, th- there's a thing I co- talk about called the watchers at the gate. And the watchers at the gate are the things inside your head that stop the creative process. They stop the ideas flowing into your brain and they're sitting there self-censoring you and stopping you. Do- and for me, the backspace is the is the is what the watchers at the gate do. <laughs> They're trying to stop the creative process by making you edit, edit, edit. Yeah, and I ha- I have to silence the watchers in order for the for yeah. the for the magic to yeah. flow. Not that the magic flows ever, but there you go. The kind of beauty of you know the hundred and fifty years of history of keyboards that like you, you know you have that option now to silence them in software or move, remove the keycap from your keyboard or do other things. And for some people, it would be like I need to I need an old typewriter to write because that's the only way I can express myself. That's my friend Will and Tom Hanks as well. I think isn't Tom Hanks a great? I read somewhere that he's a, yeah. He, didn't he write a book about typewriter history recently? He he wrote a I think it was a series of stories. So it was a fiction book about they're all centered around typewriting he's a huge fan of old typewriters and i I think a delight to to the community of typewriter collectors because he just drops by stores and and sends typewriters (laughs) to people in a way that feels also very nerdy and maybe surprisingly so for you know a celebrity but but it delights people well we were going to get tom hanks to do this podcast but i was like no 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 we need martian to do it i'm happy I'm happy we didn't get Tom <laughs> Hanks to do this episode of the podcast. Martian, thank you so much for, for dropping by and for talking to us about, about this amazing history. And your book, Shift Happens. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's still on, on Kickstarter right now, but it's funded. So it's definitely going to happen. So you can order it there. Wait, you haven't written it yet? No, it's written. It's all done. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, good. don't worry about it. It's, it's written. There's a lot of photos. It's all locked in. Uh, but uh, if you're hearing this after Kickstarter, there will be a store. So yeah, definitely there's a way to buy it and I hope you enjoy it yeah thank you very much for being on the show Martian thank Thank you you for inviting me well there we go thanks very much for listening if you've enjoyed this episode then don't forget to listen to all the other episodes and tell all your friends etc etc and don't forget if you'd like to get in touch then please do Uh, you have a keyboard various keyboards in front of you in which to do that Uh, you can email us at patented at historyhit.com you can write us a letter. Well, I say you can write us a letter. I don't know if we actually have a physical address that you could send a letter to. You could write us a letter and then take a photograph of the letter and then email that picture to us at patented at historyhit.com. Or you can um, reach out, as they like to say, on to me on social media. My DMs are open on Twitter, so you can send me a message on Twitter or whatever if you've got a story that you'd like us to cover or something, well, something you'd like to say, something you'd like to comment on, good or bad. We are, we are we are all ears. I look forward very much to your company next time. See you then.
While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.